If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. So we've been talking about last things, death, judgment, and if you've been following along, we've done heaven and then purgatory, working our way backwards toward hell. And this is, this is a tough topic because in modern thinking, a loving God would never send anybody there. And there's all kinds of theology and we can talk all about that. But I would like to hear, I have some specific questions about hell. Is it an actual place? Is it a, more of a state of being? Frankly, when I took your Dante class, it scared me. There's the sign above the entrance is abandon all hope ye who enter here. That's a very sober thing. And there's all kinds of jokes about it, I think, but that's because people are terrified of it. And, and I think maybe deep down know that there's, it's possible to make God angry and to, and to pay for that. So what does the Catholic Church teach about who goes there and why? How do you, how do you end up there? How does it come to that? Was that always, I, I assume because of the last two conversations we had, that this is a doctrine that the Catholic Church understood better and better as they went along. Anyway, I, I would love to hear the Catholic take on this. And Yep. Okay. So, first of all, this is a serious topic. <laughs> I, think, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, maybe somebody write in and tell me if I'm wrong, but I think C.S. Lewis talked about this in maybe it was in Screwtape Letters, where he talks about hell and all that. There's another place, but it was something about uh, saying that people will make jokes about hell with little, uh, you know, devils with horns right. and tails and pitchforks and, and snicker and laugh because it seems so ridiculous. And I, I think he said something to the effect of people who aren't prepared to read grown-up books Oh. about grown-up topics shouldn't talk about them or mm. laugh at them. Right. Because this is a very grown-up topic. And th this is the most sober topic that I can think of, but it's something that we should talk about. And we should be terrified of it. Right. We should be terrified of it. And I can give you the reasons why we should be terrified of it, but you talked about the sign. So in Dante's Divine Comedy in the first book of it, The Inferno, he and Virgil come to the cave that leads down into the Inferno and is Famously, there's the sign of it that said, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. But the rest of the sign says, for this is an eternal place. Mm. And that's why you abandon all hope. Because once you go here, this is an eternal state. There is no hope from there. Right. You don't go there for a while and then feel sorry and get out. It isn't purgatory. No. It is an eternal state of eternal separation from God. This is such a sober thing, but it's so important for us to talk about. And I always felt all the years that I was a pastor, Protestant pastor, I always felt I had a responsibility to teach on this at least once a year. 
And so right. I had my, um, my hell sermon, you know I mean? I'd given, right. this, right. yeah, I'd given this sermon year after year after year right. for 20 years or something like that. And you know, I think I had a red file folder like that. <laughs> and every year we'd come around and I'd go, it's hell week. <laughs> so uh, right. on hell week, I once a year preached this because I felt that we had a responsibility to tell people the truth and part right. of preaching the gospel is giving them the full counsel of God and giving them the full gospel. The, the gospel, famous, right, means good news, but, but it's only good news because there's bad news in contrast right. to bad news, right? Well, yeah. what, what makes the gospel good news is that we have a hope of eternal fellowship with God and eternal happiness and joy in communion with God. And that's good news in contrast to the alternative. Right. So all that being said, let's talk a little bit about hell. To try to summarize the hell sermon. First of all, we saw in the last two episodes we recorded here about heaven and purgatory, the definition from the catechism of the Catholic Church that starts right. that all who die in grace and friendship with God yep. right, will enjoy communion with him. And then the difference between the two is for heaven and in a state of purification and for purgatory, those who die in grace and friendship with God and are still in need of purification or sanctification will achieve that in, in the process of, of moving toward him in the next life. In contrast to that, those who do not die in grace and friendship with God are not able to enjoy him for eternity because they lack those two elements. Number one, they lack grace. So they have not accepted or embraced the grace and forgiveness of God. The typical rap here is the Catholic church teaches, blah, blah, blah. We've talked about this a hundred times. Salvation by works, blah, 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 blah. Of course it's not. And we've covered this over and over, over, over again. It is the grace of Jesus Christ that saves us. But we need to be receiving of the grace of Christ. And then the friendship with God is a sense discipleship, accepting of that, following Christ. Those who die without those two conditions die in a state of alienation from him. Mm -hmm. So if heaven, as we said in that episode, a couple episodes ago, is the beatific vision, it is the, I remember we said, we said that everything is ordered to a purpose. Right. It, everything has, is ordered to an end. The chair here is ordered toward the end of what it means to chairness is to be ordered toward the end of holding my rear end up. Right. Right. Being able to sit in it. If, if the chair is, I'm, and I'd be able to sit in it, it is in a sense disordered. Right. Right. It is not ordered or pointed toward its end. And we gave the example where the catechism of the Catholic Church says that, for example, homosexual acts are inherently disordered. Right. Because sexual acts that are between a, uh, a man and a man or whatever can never be ordered toward the end of the sexual act. Right. Right. So in the same way, we said the order of a human life is to, or a human being is to be drawn to its creator because we were created in God's image and created for fellowship with him face to face. Adam and Eve, as we said, enjoyed direct fellowship with God in the garden. And then it was sin that severed that. They hid in the bushes. And right. ever since then, we are ordered towards trying to get there. Okay. Got me? Yep. So what happens when a human life, though, is disordered? It is pointed away from God. 
if a life pointed toward God as one that will find its fulfillment in him, right. it will ultimately belong or be where it belongs. It will find belonging in the thing for which it was created. Right. What happens when a life is turned or a human soul turns away from that and pursues that right. which it is disordered from? It is not in pursuit of where it belongs, but where it does not belong. And if we were created for fellowship with God, what happens when we refuse fellowship with him? Right. What happens when we choose not to be loved and to love? So when scripture says, when John tells us, gospel John tells us God is love, right? John tells us God, that God is love. Of course, it doesn't mean the emotion of love, but that love right. itself, right, is an inherent quality of God. And to know and enjoy him is to be loved by him and to love in return. And then, of course, to love those around us, right, as we right. share the fellowship of God. What happens when a life is not defined by that? What happens if a life is not ordered right. toward that? Yeah. And in that sense, what hell is, is ultimately the separation from God. It's the ultimate alienation from our end. And the hell, the misery of it, is in the end, we are not where we belong. Yeah. So I'm looking at my phone here, my cell phone, and, and if I don't bring it home here in a couple of hours and stick it in the charger, it's right. going to run out and die because it right. needs to get back to that charger. That's the source of its life. Right. If I have a, as a human being, if I am ordered away from that source of life, I'm going to experience ultimate alienation. Right. You remember in the Dante class when Dante imagines hell and he goes down to the cave and remember the, the levels and the layers, yep. right? And he goes down to the very bottom. And the way he imagined, of course, was there was this chasm and it led down to the very center of the earth and God in paradise was, was up there above the stars, right. right? So there's two points about that. Number one, if you recall, is the bottom of hell where Satan is in Dante's Inferno is at the point in the universe furthest from God. Yeah, right. Because yeah. that's what ultimately alienation is, is as being as far from God as we can get. Right. But do you remember two other things about it? At the center of the earth, it was, and of course Dante isn't saying it literally, since I think, okay, great. So right. that's where people who grown up should be able to read grown up books and get it. This is an imaginative right. nation. There really right. isn't a cave right, that right, you can right, go down, right? right? But at the center of the earth, there were two other qualities. Because it was the point furthest from God, remember the two qualities that that place had? Number one, it was dark. Yeah. Remember that in Dante, it was always about the stars and ascending to the right. stars. And that in the presence of God, the beatific vision was ultimate light. Right. And the further you moved away from the light, the further you moved into darkness. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, remember what it was down there? It was not fire at the bottom of Dante's Inferno. It was ice. And Satan was frozen in this lake of ice. Yeah. And the reason why is it's cold. And when we move darkest, coldest place we can be, because we're separated from the light of God and the warmth and love of his fellowship. And that's a dark, cold, lonely mm -hmm. place. So to think about hell in those terms as the darkest, coldest, loneliest place that you can be begins to frame what it really is. It is that sense of separation and alienation. Is it a place? Well, it's no more a 
place, then heaven is a place, not a place that you can get into a rocket ship and fly to, of course. It is a spiritual place, an eternal place. And so when we die, our soul goes to this soulish place of alienation. What we're really saying in hell is that we have been ultimately separated from our end and our purpose and our life and our source of life. And, And it's lonely in hell. And that's the other thing is, it's an ultimate sin of loneliness, of alienation from God. And because even when we say the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, we say, forgive us as we forgive others. Right. Because the love of God not only is a vertical love, but then it's conditionally even a horizontal love, right? right? And when we reject that love of God, we ultimately have no love in us and we are then able, unable to love others. Yeah. And so hell becomes a place, not of fellowship, but it's a place of of a profound loneliness and alienation. In Dante, I remember all the people in hell hated each other and they were miserable with each other because, and they couldn't even, the the deeper he went, Dante in, in the Inferno, the deeper he goes in there, the conversations he has with the damned, more and more and more, they lose the ability to even recognize the people around them because in a sense, they may be at this certain level in hell but they've, they've lost the capacity to recognize or care about other beings, and they become almost this isolated, this soul isolated from all others, right. turned in on itself. Right. Two other things that just sparked in my mind about when Dante, as he descends, again, you know, I'm making a pitch for the class, so if you want to take the Dante class, send me an email and I'll send you the, the links to the videos. But the thing about that was there was this notion from Thomas Aquinas that there are two qualities that mankind has. And mankind has intellect and will. Um, but the rationals intellect and will. And I, if you remember, the way that was defined is intellect is knowledge. Mm-hmm. Knowledge of the good. Knowledge of moral law. Knowledge of God. We have as, we, we, we're given as human beings the capacity to know God. But we also have will, which is the ability to choose Right. To know and to choose and to be a fully formed human being, to be a full, to find fulfillment, our knowledge and our will become stronger. Mm-hmm. The deeper he descended into hell, if you recall, the damned began to lose their intellect and will because yeah. the further you get from God, the, in a sense, the less human you become. Yeah. And what Dante found is the deeper he went, that the damned are kind of stupid and unable to make yeah. choices. They become just locked in their sin. Now, someone can say, oh, this is all just imagine a Dante. Hey, have you never known anyone locked in profound addiction? Right. Alcoholism, drug addiction, pornography, the loss of intellect and will, the, the loss of the ability to know and choose what's good. Right. And you become consumed by this thing and it, and it erodes, in a sense, your human capacity to know and choose what is good. And, and that's really what Christian teaching has always been and the teaching of Dante has always been is that the further we move away from God, the more we lose our humanity and the more we lose because we become in the grip of these things and we lose the capacity to know God and choose the good. And that's really 
in some sense, if you think about the grips of what addiction does to people, to those kinds of things, right? right. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever. Think about the, that, that, that's a, that's sort of a vision of what hell is in some yeah. sense yeah. is being gripped by these things and able to, to let go of them. And it's a, and, and, and it's sad when you look at somebody who's in the deep grips of addiction where that's taken them, that it is a, a kind of a hellish existence. I'm not yeah. saying they're and they're not capable of redemption, but I'm just saying it's an illustration or a preview of what followed to its ultimate end. Right. Alienation from God looks like. So why would God send people there? The whole reason I've been talking about this for the last 15 minutes this way is I think it's important to think about whether God sends us there or God allows us to be there. Hey. So there's this old thing, like if you do college ministry, or maybe high school ministry, it was a big thing, college ministry. When I started doing college age ministry to students, there's always some smart aleck who thinks he's super clever because he'll throw up, maybe you remember this high school youth group too. Could, uh, if God is all powerful, could God invent a rock so heavy that he couldn't lift it? Uh, right. See, I tricked you, right? Because God doesn't make any sense. How could God be all powerful? Because he... If he's all powerful, he could invent a rock super heavy. Right. But then, so you couldn't lift it. But if he can't lift it, then he's not all powerful. See? See? Right. And I always welcomed that challenge because I always said, well, well hold on. Let's think about that. Because I always thought it was an illustration for free will and hell. And here's why. So you go, well, no, God can impose limits on himself and he can create things that have, that are defined by boundaries in their essence. So in other words, yes, God can make a rock so heavy that he can't lift it. He could then lift it at which point and at which moment it would cease to be a rock right. he could not lift. So he, he, he can, in, in a sense, impose limits and, and give thing in, th something in essence, which God says, I will not tamper with this thing. Right. If I tamper with it, it is no longer right. what it is. And so instead of a rock so heavy you can't lift, you'd say, could God create a creature that had free will that he himself could not overturn. And you go, yes, he can. He did. Right. He created us, which have the capacity to choose to reject him. Well, then couldn't God like save us and overpower? Well, yes, he could. At which case we would cease to be a full, to right. be a human being. Yeah. The gift of the gift of our humanity is the, is the capacity to choose it's the capacity to reject God. It's the capacity of Adam and Eve to eat the fruit and hide in the bushes. God could stop that. God could look at you and I and go, man, Greg and Ed are going to hell. So I'm just going to like intervene and overturn there and overrule their decision. God right. has the power to do that, but we would no longer then be humans. Right. We would no longer then be what God designed us to be, and, and it would be a diminishment of our capacity. So yes, God does that. Again, I'm quoting a lot of C.S. Lewis here, but he, he was really good on these topics. And one of the things he said, another memorable quote, was famously that in the end, there will be two kinds of people on the last day. There will be those who bend their knee to God and say, thy will be done. And there will be those to whom God says, sadly, Thy will be done. And so, in a sense, we can choose to reject God's offer of grace and friendship. And in so doing, 
we become disordered, we diminish our humanity, and we begin the process of moving as far away from it as we can. And there will come a place and a time or a point in time where God says, I'm going to ring the bell, the buzzer, and these choices are final. Right. And that's sobering. Right. But there is a point at which the opportunity came. Jesus talks about this when he says, hey, in the days before Noah, people were buying and selling and living it up. And there came a time when God said, enough. Who was it who said this to me? I can't remember who it was. This is another one of those things that like floats around the Christian world. And I can't remember who originally said it, but it was pretty clever. So there's the prophecy in scripture about when the Lord returns with a shout on a word. Yeah. And somebody said, when the Lord opens the skies for Jesus to come back and the angel blows right. the trumpet and God shouts a word, what will be the word? And I don't know who said it, but somebody said, the word will be enough. Yeah. And when you look at this world and you look at all the, the, the terrible things in this world and all the suffering, we find ourselves saying, Lord, is this enough? Has this world right. had enough suffering? Has there been enough injustice? At some point, Lord, come back and say, enough is enough. Right. And when that happens, th there will be those who have chosen themselves and chosen to refuse love and chosen to give love. And that will be their disordered condition. Yeah. Let me say a couple other things about this. I'm doing all the talking here, but... That's no, good, though. One of the things that is said a lot about this is that this is all some invention of the church and that this isn't what Jesus was all about, right? Jesus was about loving people and accepting people. And all of this hell stuff is not Jesus. Here's the, the sobering truth, is that in the, in the Bible, uh, almost like 90% of the references to hell are directly from Jesus. Mm. Yeah. The Bible yeah. has very little to say about hell unless it's from him. And somebody once pointed out, that's because this is such a sobering topic. It's such an important topic. Only the Lord himself could talk about it. Yeah. And so, for example, Jesus mentions hell in two ways. Sometimes he uses the word directly. Yeah. So there's a couple of words in the New Testament Greek language. One is Hades. Mm -hmm. Another one is uh, Gehenna yeah. uh, that get, get translated. Hades is, I don't want to go on the whole word study, but Hades is sort of the place of the dead. It means yeah. death. It means those who have died. But Gehenna is a very specific word, and Jesus is the only one who uses it. In a sense, Jesus in the Gospels invents this word because it isn't used. And here's what Gehenna was. It was the Hinnon Valley outside. So out, outside the edge of Jerusalem, you know, the walls of Jerusalem, there was like a gully called, I mean, we, they called it a valley. We called it kind of a ravine. Right. It was a Hinnon Valley right outside the wall. And it's where two things happened traditionally in the history of the city of Jerusalem. One, it was the garbage dump. Okay. It was where they literally threw their trash yeah. and they had a, they burned it, they incinerated it. 
So there was always like this fire burning in the bottom of the gully and the ravine and the, the uh, Jerusalemites, right, right, would come and toss right. the trash down there and it would burn up in the incinerator. And then the other places that was, that was also where in the Old Testament, in the darkest moments of Israel, they had sacrificed their children to, mm. the, to the foreign god Molech. Yeah. And this, this place, Gehenna, the, the, the burning garbage dump where Molech was worshipped, Jesus, eight or nine times in scripture, he specifically says, references this as hell. He says, it will be Gehenna. For those who are yeah. in judgment, and he talks about judgment, he talks about turning away from God. He says, the destination is Gehenna. Those are directly the words of Jesus. He comes up with that and he describes right. it as the garbage dump. He describes it as the place of darkness, the place right. of utter. The other way he talks about it is where Jesus does not use the word, but at the point of his parables are often. So for example, you know, I always, people always talk about the parable of the sheep and the goats. Right. Right. Now we say, well, you know, God, Jesus tells this whole parable of the sheep and the goats. And did you do this for the least of them and the poor and all that? And a lot of times people stop there and they want the point to be that we should do things, which is exactly right. But you know what he says to the, then he says, you know what happens to the goats? Right. They're sent to hell. Jesus talks a lot about, he has a lot of these agricultural parables, the separating of the wheat from the chaff. Right. And that the angels come at the end of the day and separate the wheat from the chaff, right? The bad part of the wheat stalk, which is thrown into the fire. Yeah. And consumed. And so this is not only a biblical doctrine, it is a doctrine from the words of Jesus. And it has been. So you open this session by asking about whether it's the, the Catholicity of this. I would say that this is just a profoundly Christian doctrine. Yeah. And, and direct from the New Testament. And the Catholic Church's teachings on it don't differ from the teachings of the church for 2,000 years. I mean, yeah. this, is, this is, in some sense, the Catholic faith, the faith of the New Testament and the first apostles and the, the first yeah. church. It's been perpetually that. What has happened is in the recent, the recent century or so, we've just decided that we don't believe it. And and, yeah. and 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 I, what strikes me as crazy about that when I hear Christians talking about, well, God wouldn't do that, and I don't accept that, and you know, love wins, and blah blah blah. As so I go, are we in possession of new information? Yeah, right. Since the words of yeah. Jesus, so when I see some of these contemporary preachers who talk about this, there's there's a I, I shouldn't admit this, but on Twitter, there's a, there's a, on Twitter feed called woke preacher clips, and there's some guy who just like scours the internet for like uh, woke woke uh, oh, okay. you know sermon sermon from woke pastors or whatever. But they're always up there going, you know, God doesn't do this, and we now know, and theologically we now know that God doesn't send people to hell. And you go, right. how do you know that? Are you in possession? So Jesus talked about it. Right. It's all through the, the New Testament. It was talked about by the apostles in their epistles. It was talked about the ancient church. And, right. it all the way, and then all of a sudden, about what, 30, 40 years ago, you guys decided that now we have new information. Right. So where is this new information? What is your source of the new information that this is no longer operational, right. that this isn't what Christianity teaches? 
what, what the reality is, is we don't like the idea because our modern concept of God and our modern concept of the self and our modern concept of, of all these things have changed so right. radically. It's no longer formed by Christianity. For thousands of years, we were formed, the culture was formed by right. scripture. Right. And now what we do, we are doing is forming scripture or editing scripture to right. conform to our cultural values. Yeah. And we're simply editing it out. One would say, if God wanted you to know about, about hell, how, how would he communicate it? I mean, has he, has he sent some new revelation? Or is it just, again, we're, we're essentially conforming the word of God to our culture rather than our culture yeah. to the word of God? You, you can't escape this one. There's a lot of things you, I guess, I suppose we could argue about, but there's one thing that I just think is unarguable, and that is, is that, that the Bible, uh, Scripture, Jesus teaches the doctrine of hell, and the church has affirmed it, and, and it's an essential part of Christianity and the gospel. When I go to confession, one of the things that you say in confession is, you know, in your, in your act of contrition, right? In the confessional, you say, because I, 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 I desire friendship with God and I, and I, and I fear, right. the, fear the terrors of, I fear the fires of hell. I don't want to go to hell and I love God and I don't want right. to go to hell. And like, even if I say that right now, as people are creeped out, like you can't say that in a church. Why would you say that to somebody? Why would you want somebody to like, because it's true. Right. I want to enjoy right. eternal fellowship and the beatific vision. And I want to see God face to face. And I don't want to be separated from right. him. I don't want to hear that. I, want, I don't want that door to, I mean, another parable of Jesus, the door will be shut and you can no longer go to the banquet hall. I don't want to be shut out of the wedding banquet of the Lord. I don't want to spend eternity separated from God. Right. Yeah. And never see his face. I want to be part of those who stand before him and see his face and know and have communion with him. And the thought of being uh, not seeing God for eternity, being turned away from him, not enjoying his love, not in being able to love and not being able to love others is a horrifying thought and it ought to horrify you. Yeah. And it ought to motivate you to say, how do I find my Lord? How do I find my right. way back to where I belong? And, and, that's, and that starts you on that path. Like we said in the last episode, you start on a path where you say, I have accepted the grace and felt and friendship of God. Right. I have accepted salvation. I know that I still have all this junk in me. The part of me that still is angry with others or the part of me that still looks at pornography or the part of me that is still greedy and all these little right. things in me that I know are sort of imperfect. And, but I know that God has saved me. And I know that in this life and the next, I'll be on a path of, of, of right. sanctification before. And, 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 and I will eventually stand before my Lord holy and perfected yep. and, in, and reflecting his glory. Yeah. And that's the end to which we are ordered. And anything that is not ordered to that end is, is ordered to misery. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a bleak thing to be left to your own devices. And I'm really, really glad that I'm not. Well, I always say, you know, people, I'm glad I'm not in charge. I'd screw it all up. Right. 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 I mean, and this is where I think you and I were talking offline about people we know, you were sharing conversation you had where someone was saying just the whole idea of religion and the whole idea of Christianity is a huge turnoff because who right. is anybody to tell me 
what I should do. And I don't like the idea of a God who tells me what to do. I like the idea of a God who tells me right. I'm okay exactly as I am. Well, that's also, that's, that, that, that in and of itself is almost a hellish attitude. Right. That, that's an attitude it's, that says, I, I don't see myself ordered towards knowing and loving and serving. Yeah. And God, I, I want God to serve me. And that, that, that just leads to a, a place of eternal separation from him. Right. Yeah. I know I, I need to be saved from myself. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was fun. Yeah. Well, it was <laughs> I, really good. I have well, nothing to add. Yeah. You know? Well, we got through hell week. Yeah. You're 21, but yeah, I mean, we all need to, uh, from time to time, have this conversation. So good. Good stuff, said. Greg. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.